Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools is more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade. Hello, welcome to episode 23 of the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Serson, construction adjudicator, lawyer, and director of Tricks of Your Trade. Now, I've been uh, pretty quiet for a few weeks. I haven't released a podcast in, uh, I think it's been a month, and I just wanted to let you guys in on why I've been so quiet. Haven't given up on you, uh, quite the opposite. I've been working on a really big file for a client who is owed a significant amount of money, and I have to just bunker down and give that my undivided attention. So... When you see that there's no podcast for a little while, just know that I'm fighting for somebody in their corner with absolutely every single iota of energy, strength and resources that I have available to me. But I'm not a superhuman person, unfortunately, and so something has to give. And that's where I usually disconnect from the socials and I disconnect from um, making podcasts and doing these things that I like to routinely do for you. So I hope you can understand uh, that and know that one day it could be you that I'm working on your case and that I need to give you my undivided attention. And I'm sure that you wouldn't appreciate seeing me dropping podcasts and doing all of this other fun stuff when I should be working on your matter. Now, that brings me to the topic that I wanted to talk to you about today. And I want you guys to really understand what is involved if one day you need to use adjudication to debt recover. Now, this sounds like doomsday stuff. It sounds like, you know, if this ever happened to me in my business, it would be the end of the world and I probably wouldn't want to be in business anymore after that. Well, it's actually not as rare as you think. I know in Queensland, there's between 30 and 40 adjudication applications every month. Quite a lot of those are settled, uh, but quite a few of them do go through to a decision as well. And I'm sure that if you're kicking around in the commercial construction game where it's dog eat dog, uh, you will be well aware that people are being short paid every second of every minute of every day. And it's only a tiny little minuscule percentage that is making it through to adjudication. If there's only 30 to 40 a month, you can imagine how many people are not being paid. Now, adjudication has got a reputation for being really dirty. And I know that when I started studying law, I was working for a commercial builder and they used to say that it was grubby. Um, They used to call people grubby subbies if they would take an adjudication application against that building company. And then all of a sudden they would be tarred with that brush moving forward. And it really is a little bit sickening, the stigma that comes with using adjudication to debt recover because... The reason that they used to call subbies grubby subbies if they used adjudication to debt recover was because the system was seen to be a smash and grab and it was really uh, designed to be friendly for people who hadn't been paid um, with almost a presumption that you were entitled to the money before the adjudicator even reached a decision. Now in many states adjudication was privatised and so essentially adjudicators had an incentive to 
fined for claimants or fined for those people who hadn't been paid, decide that they're owed some money so that people wouldn't give up and stop using the process. At the end of the day, if people didn't use adjudication, adjudicators didn't have any work. Now, in Queensland, things are run through the uh, adjudication registry, which is housed within the government department of the Queensland Building and Construction Commission. That's uh, the place where I'm a registered adjudicator and I can tell you that there is now a very heavy emphasis on adjudicators needing to first decide whether or not they have the authority to decide whether or not you've been paid. Now, without going down a rabbit hole of legal jargon gobbledygook, uh, what I'm saying there is that we have very strict rules that we have to follow to be able to decide the facts of your dispute. And if we first don't have the authority to make a decision at all because something went wrong with the path to adjudication, which is called jurisdiction. So um, an example of that might be you might not have a valid payment claim. If you don't have a valid payment claim, then you can't use adjudication to debt recover. And so if we don't have the authority to uh, decide whether or not your payment claim is valid, we don't have authority to decide whether or not you owed any money. And so the way that the game's historically been played with adjudication, the very first thing somebody who doesn't want to pay you will do is try to find reasons that the adjudicator has no authority to make a decision. And if the adjudicator does go ahead and make a decision, even if they don't have the authority, then you end up in the Supreme Court in what's called a judicial review. Now, Supreme Court, pretty expensive place to hang out if you end up there definitely not recommended and so adjudicators are heavily trained in how to decide whether or not they have jurisdiction. What has essentially resulted is that lawyers will now buddy up with the respondent or the person who owes the other person the money and will try to argue on very fine legal technical points at a very high level about case law and whether or not the adjudicator can decide. Now, if you're a subcontractor who's done a fair cracker work for a builder, or if you're anybody who's done construction work for another uh, company and you are seeking to debt recover using adjudication and all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where your lawyers just keep having to turn up and write further submissions because the other side keeps writing legal arguments to the adjudicator, it can be a very slippery slope to spending a lot on legal fees. The really infuriating thing about this is that a lot of times the subcontractors just think this should be common sense. Look, I've done the work. He owes me the money. We had a deal. I've seen cases where there have been exchanges in emails about promises that people will be paid. And unfortunately, there is a labyrinth of case law that needs to be waded through in order for adjudicators to decide whether or not they can even decide whether you're entitled to be paid. Now, if you ever find yourself in this situation and you have done a good job, you've turned up, you've done what you were asked to do, and this other party is just withholding your payment, there is a very good chance you're going to go through a real roller coaster ride of furious frustrating emotions during the adjudication process and it really adds insult to injury when you have been short paid your business is feeling the effects of not being paid and here you are seeing these bullshit reasons that are exchanged in a case law context about why you shouldn't be paid 
it really does become that absurd. So I wanted to take you through a very fast rundown of the adjudication process in this podcast and the places and the times in the process when you can expect things to get ugly. Now, it could be that the other side are refusing service of the documents you're trying to give them and you've got to find a way to serve them without having them rejected or them dodging service. Relatively simple thing to do these days. Uh, You really just need to be serving their registered office. Uh, But even just in the last few weeks with lockdown and registered offices not being open, service has become a little bit more difficult. Now, we have served respondents and had people abused when they've turned up with documents, corralled and sort of (laughs) heckled and told that, um, you know, we don't stand a chance and that they know what they're doing and so on and so forth. But on the flip side, I've been to serve documents to somebody's registered office and the building has been demolished. There has been nothing but an empty site. Uh, I've also been to serve somebody and been given a free pen and had a very lovely chat with the lady at reception. So you never really know what you're going to receive when you go to serve somebody. But that first point of contact where they realize that you've taken an adjudication application, there's usually uh, sort of like a 24 to 48 hour window where you can expect a little bit of hostility. Now, the second point in the process where things can start to get messy is when the adjudicator is appointed. So when the adjudicator is appointed and they announce themselves as the adjudicator for the matter, it's usually at that point in time that if the respondent doesn't know what the process involves, they don't really understand what an adjudicator does or what their authority is, that they can sometimes reach out to the adjudicator and be nasty, say things like, I don't know what kind of a decision you think you're going to make, I don't agree to this. Um, Or sometimes what they can do then is they can try to give the adjudicator a submission that says that they still haven't been served the documentation on some kind of a technicality. Now keep in mind by this time you have probably spent a considerable amount of money getting your adjudication application prepared. So to have solicitors from the other side write to your adjudicator and say that we should be kicked out of adjudication because of blah blah blah, it can get hairy. You are likely to go on a little bit of a roller coaster um, of frustration and panic when that happens. But it's not uncommon and so that's why I'm telling you about it because when you are inside the process and it's your money that's at stake, these things can send you to panic stations at the drop of a hat. Now the third opportunity for things to really get a little bit dirty is when you get the adjudication response. So what happens is the respondent has a period of time to put in a response to the adjudication application and when they give the adjudication response, when you read it, it's likely that there will be things in there that are said in statutory declarations or documents put forward to the adjudicator that are skewed to look the way that the other party wants them to appear. And that's usually when it can be a very uh, stressful situation for you because you know you've spent all this money to be here, the adjudicator's been appointed, you're really hopeful that you're going to get the win and lo and behold... They've put all of this stuff in this adjudication response. Probably in 30 to 40% of adjudication responses that I've read, there have been things said in statutory declarations that our client swears black and blue are not true. And one of the things to keep in mind with that is that when you're telling your side of the story, 
to somebody like an adjudicator or somebody who's supposed to be an impartial person. Um, If you think of them like the school principal, where you're telling the school principal, no, hand on heart, sir, I'm right because you want to be as convincing as possible. And so when you put in your application, you're going to be talking persuasively and subjectively about your side of the story. But every now and then we will see an absolute doozy of a statutory declaration come from a respondent where there is a black and white lie uh, on the papers. Now, there are very strict parameters and very serious consequences of alleging fraud on another party. And so you will seldom see solicitors go down that rabbit hole. But imagine how furious you would be if, say, for example, your builder came forward with a statutory declaration from a different subcontractor on the site, which said things that you know to be absolutely false and yet you don't have a right to reply to those submissions. That is the unfortunate situation in adjudication procedure is that you don't always get a right to reply. Now, the fourth stressful speed bump and um, situation that you will come across in adjudication is if the adjudicator asks for more submissions Um, from the party so the adjudicator might need to clarify something or might need you to talk to or need to give you an opportunity to a right to reply to something that the other side has said and if the adjudicator asks for further submissions you've got an opportunity to respond usually adjudicators give you very very tight time frames to be able to reply to those submissions I have had an adjudicator in the past give as little as two hours Uh, written to solicitors to say you've got two hours basically to get back and respond to these quite lengthy submissions made by the other side. Now in those circumstances solicitors need to basically draw all hands on deck and try to get back the very best um, version of whatever they can put together to the adjudicator in that time frame. You're going to be asked on the spot to approve further legal fees for that work to be done and you won't even probably fully understand what the legal aspect of what the adjudicator is asking at all. Now the fifth uh, twist in the road where you're likely to get a little bit stressed out is when the adjudicator announces that he or she has made their decision and they're likely to invoice you. So you shouldn't always read into whether or not you have won your adjudication application because the adjudicator addresses the invoice to you. So it's customary for an adjudicator to address an invoice to the claimant because the respondent has no incentive whatsoever to pay the adjudicator. The claimant is the one that is chasing their money. The claimant is the one that wants the decision. And so regardless of whether or not the claimant wins or loses, the adjudicator is likely to address their invoice to you as the claimant to pay their fee and then leave it up to you to chase any fees from the respondent if you win. Now at this point you've not been paid for at least 30 business days so your payment's been overdue for that long. You've paid somebody to help you put in the adjudication application. You've paid the adjudication application fee at the registry. You've then potentially paid for further submissions to be written by your legal team in response to an adjudicator's request for more information and then the adjudicator drops an invoice for anywhere between three to ten to fifteen thousand dollars depending on uh, how much time was involved in making the decision. Now arguably 
I think this is the most stressful part of the process is when you have paid the adjudicator, you're absolutely exhausted. You've been through the roller coaster of the four other uh, speed bumps in adjudication, the stressful speed bumps that take place. And now you've got to wait potentially 24 to 48 hours for that money to hit your adjudicator's bank account before he or she will tell you whether or not you're going to be paid. Now for claimants who lose their adjudication at this point, there really isn't any lower point in being in business that I've seen other than tragedy or catastrophic accident. If you go through a stressful court case or if you go through an adjudication that costs you a bucket load of money, you're already in a dispute that is causing you anguish and frustration. You believe hand on heart that you should be paid and you've paid solicitors to help you get paid, but an adjudicator has decided otherwise, sometimes on obscure uh, elements or finer points of case law that you don't even understand. It should be common sense in your mind that you should be paid for this, but for whatever reason, the respondent has found a way to wiggle out of the responsibility of paying you for your work. Now, to make matters worse, with adjudication, a lot of claimants think that they can talk to the adjudicator throughout the process. And I often have clients who come to me say, well, I'll just tell the adjudicator A, B and C and then they'll understand. And when you explain to them that you don't actually even get to meet the adjudicator, you don't get to talk to them, there's no conference between the parties, and very, very rarely a conference between the parties, there is an, uh, an availability under the jurisdiction for an adjudicator to call a conference, but nobody ever does because it's a little bit too tricky to handle. <laughs> but essentially, it would seem like common sense to you that you should be able to communicate with this person, but that's not what happens. You have somebody who is essentially disconnected, removed from the situation, objective, outside of the project, don't, doesn't understand what, what went on between the parties, doesn't get to look you in the eye and know that you're a good bloke and that you deserve to be paid and that you've done a really good job on site. All of that typically gets overlooked. And what gets looked at really closely is elements of jurisdiction that you were not ever trained to understand when you set out to be a subcontractor in the construction industry. More likely than anything, you were probably uh, taught that if you your quality is top-notch, you do your job on time, you get back when people call you. So fast callback um, turnarounds, that those would be the keys to success in your business. I spoke with a, a subcontractor recently who said to me that when he did his uh, open builder course through Master Builders, the trainer there said to him, mate, if you understand contracts, you will be right in this game, but I'm not going to pass you in this course if you don't understand the contracts element because it will make or break your business. Now, that comment from that trainer has been 100% true for that subby. And thankfully, he has got uh, people on his side who assist him with the contract side of things to make sure that he can stay out of those problems. But it wasn't always that way. And he has come close to the line a couple of times uh, getting into dispute and he's been through an absolutely devastating adjudication where he was owed the money. The builder pretty much admitted that he was owed the money but on a fine point technicality on basically the way he described something on a payment claim, he didn't get paid. Now the reason I'm telling you guys about this is because 
it's at this point that you guys say things to me like, I feel like the builder's laughing at me. Or things like, the system is so broken, what is the point in this? And you guys often ask me questions like, how is it that I can do $100,000 work for so-and-so builder and he's able to just walk away from it but keep all the work that I did? And you know what? It's absurd to me too. It feels like it's something we should just be able to pick up the phone and call the police and say, this guy's just robbed me. And it's that black and white in our mind that they're just able to chuff off with all of our hard-earned cash and nobody's holding them accountable. Now, when I started out in the construction industry and I was studying law, I thought that the way to change this problem for the industry was by changing the laws. But I've really learned in the last five years that it doesn't matter what version of the law that we have. Every single version of the law or system or regime that we've got to debt recover needs to have a framework. And you know what? The government can make it as simple as they like, but you guys don't take it upon yourselves to learn how to use the system if you need to, or you just try to go solo or fly blind and think that you can get away with not doing your administration and not keeping check of things as you go. There is 100% a way to stay out of trouble like this. And what it involves is it involves you administering your contracts and following up on your payment claims and suspending work or enforcing security of payment regime at such an early point in the process that you're owed such a little amount of money that is, it is inconsequential for you to walk away from debt recovery. If you let too much time go by so that the amount of work that you have done that you need to chase for debt recovery measures is more than $10,000, $20,000, $30,000, that is where you're going to start to really feel the pain of walking away from that money, but it will not be cost effective for you to debt recover at that bottom end of the debt recovery money tree. Now, what I'm talking about there is the cost benefit of debt recovery, right? It's going to cost you within the vicinity of three to five to $10,000 to take an adjudication application, even it's in its most basic form. If you need somebody to assist you in putting that together, that's how much it's going to cost for their fee. Then you need to pay for the adjudication application, which is a fee that you pay to the registry or uh, to the authorized nominating authority. Once you've paid that fee, you then need to pay the adjudicator's fees. And the adjudicator's fees are going to be anywhere between two and a half to five to 10 to $15,000. And that could get out of your control because the adjudicator's fees largely depends on what the other side do. So if they keep the adjudicator busy by giving further submissions or unsolicited submissions or raising jurisdictional issues that are silly and a nuisance, but the adjudicator is still required to respond to them, then you essentially end up on the hook for fees as well uh, that you never really caused or contributed to. So it's only when you start to get to figures of 50,000 plus where the cost to take an adjudication uh, is viable and not anywhere near 50% of the amount of money you're chasing. So if you're paying, what I'm saying is if you're paying $20,000 to chase $30,000, you're not going to take the risk, are you? 
But if you're paying $20,000 or $30,000 to chase $100,000, then $100,000 is a big enough amount of money that you just cannot walk away from. When you are owed amounts less than $10,000, you have the beauty of being able to make a commercial decision on whether you can take a commercial approach to debt recovery, such as a money's owed complaint, or there could be another way that you've got leverage over the builder, uh, which you wouldn't be breaking the law to do. I put a caveat on that because I'm not talking about leveraging with, with your golf clubs on his BMW. I'm talking about if you've got a legitimate interest for that builder to settle with you, those are the best ways for you to get back your money or debt recover lower amounts of money. Now, every now and then there will be a situation that will crop up that will be completely outside of your control. And these are the high risk situations that I like to teach you guys about uh, in my Subbies Toolbox membership and guide you through when they happen. And it'll be things like if your builder goes broke and a new builder takes over the job, or if your builder gets terminated and a new builder takes over the job, or if your builder appears to be going broke but hasn't yet gone broke and is stringing you out on payments, or it could be situations where suddenly the principal wants to pay you directly because the builder's license has been suspended. Uh, another one is where your builder's license gets suspended and there's a problem there and a new contractor has to step into place. You might be presented with an interesting contracting arrangement where there's a construction manager appointed uh, and you're the subcontractor, but essentially the principal's paying you directly. There are contractual form requirements um, and warning notices that need to be put on contracts in certain states for you to be working under those arrangements. But when these things are presented to you, that's the last thing you guys are thinking about. You guys are thinking about making a sale and you know, winning the job, winning the project, having more work for all of your boys to go to. And it's in those moments that those crucial discussions need to be captured and recorded so that you can protect yourself contractually in a way that you can debt recover. Now, guys, I know that this is a little bit of a left of field podcast, and I'm sure that you guys can hear the stress in my voice as I'm telling you about this, because when we get clients who come in who need to debt recover significant amounts of money, it really does take all hands on deck to get these applications together. And we stand with you while we wait for the result. I know for me personally, I am squarely in your corner. If you've got me fighting for your money, I'm holding my breath until the moment we get the answer from the adjudicator. And if I'm going through this much stress and it's not my money, I want you to understand how stressful it would be for you if you got yourself into this situation and you're owed the money, put aside, put aside the money factor and the financial stress that you're putting on your business, but the term, emotional turmoil that you go through while you're pending a decision from an adjudicator about whether or not you should be paid for your work. If it's stressful enough like this for your lawyer, imagine what it's like for you. I never want you to have to go through that. I never want your family to have to go through that. I don't want your business to suffer from the effects of the absence of cash flow while these things play out. And it's because these processes are so heartbreaking and because they really leave a bad taste in your mouth about the industry that I really think the answer to this stuff is staying out of fights. I really think the answer is good contract administration 
and really tight security of payment practices. And the only way that you can do that is if you have a systematic approach. You need a systematic approach. If you just do it when you think you need to, it's already too late because the danger's already here. Your belts and braces need to be strapped on before you leave the airport. Don't be a kamikaze pilot with your contract admin. Don't be a kamikaze pilot with your debt recovery. Don't leave it until it's too late. And now you're owed $100,000, $200,000, $300,000. Get on top of it the very first month that it happens. If you need help to do it, talk to me. Send me an email, questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. Engage on one of our social media platforms or give me a comment on this podcast. I would love to hear from you. Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the doggers from side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing pipes? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter? Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade.